How are you going to deal with a 10,000 person guest list at your house? And there's nothing in the cupboard and there's nowhere to, and no means to get anything. What are you going to do, boys? Here it comes, a brand new day, but I don't know what will come my way. Rise or fall, your love will see me through it all. Opportunity and challenge like your word directs me to what's right and spurs me on right through the fight with the promise of new life. Good evening, my name is Marco, and this is Pastor Stan Starkey. How are you today, Stan? I'm good, how about you? I'm doing well, I haven't seen you for a while. No, and, and you know, like, you invited me over for a barbecue this summer. Like, usually you invite Lori and I over for a barbecue, and I've just been waiting all summer long, and I just kind of finally gave up hope, and, <laughs> and, and you know, like, we're talking about food tonight, and feeding of, of people, and... And I was just, I was just a tear kind of went down the side of my cheek. Well, you know, much like the disciples saw God work in miraculous ways, you might have that opportunity to. What book are we in right now? We are in the book of Luke. And that's the ninth chapter? I believe so. So Let's open up our Bibles to that chapter. And just so you know, when God answers, good enough. Ready to get started? Absolutely. Jesus shifts the responsibility to the disciples, verses 13 to 14. But, however, he said to them, you give, you supply, you furnish them, that's the crowd, with something to eat. Now, Adam, this is not like a snack. It's not like those little goldfish crackers and a little cup of Coke. This is like a meal, something of substance. Like, what do you like that has substance? If you're going to go out for lunch today, what would you? Steak. Steak. Well, fish is close to steak. But anyway, it's like, okay, it was a meal. He's saying, give them something of substance to eat. And they said, uh, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. And Darrell's got a picture up here. Now, these loaves were about as thick as your finger. And they were, they were not, like, don't think North American bread loaves. They were probably about this big around. And they would put a fire under a big flat stone, maybe you know, two inches thick, a limestone. And it was kind of like cornmeal, Mark. Not like good cornmeal, though, but it's, it had that consistency. It was kind of gravelly. And, and there was yeast in it. There was leavening in it. But it, was, it wasn't fluffy. And so kind of like a big old crusty pita. And, and that's what the loaves would have looked like. And of course, the fish would have been had their heads on just like that deal there. And so... Um, these two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food. I wonder if they were looking at Judas to say, okay, is there any money in the bank here? Like, you know, we've got like, uh, uh, you know, five, in fact, in another place it says 5,000 men plus women and children, quite easily 10,000 being fed here. And I mean, I can imagine uh, Judas's look. In fact, unless we go and buy food, means go to a market for all of these people, means the greater part of a population the greater part of the population in that area was present in front of Jesus hearing the gospel message. For there were about 5,000 men. I had three thoughts here. Is that uh, Jesus placed the responsibility of caring for the crowd back towards the disciples. 
He's getting through to them. Like, this is not just my responsibility. You are my followers. You're part of what I'm doing. What's the game plan here? These guys have been out. They have been, they've been healing people. They've been dealing with the demonic. They've been giving the gospel. They've been doing ministry. And all of a sudden, we have a little food problem, and they're going, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. What, what can we do about this? Had they fallen asleep? Did they miss that part of the class? They continued to, to only explore the human response to the situation. Do you find that that happens to you? You get in and it's kind of like you forget about God and you forget about you, what you know about him and you forget about his faithfulness that's gone down through the times that you spent together. And you look at the flesh and he pointed out to them the limitations that the flesh had. Like, what are we going to do? How are you going to deal with a 10,000 person guest list at your house? And there's nothing in the cupboard and there's nowhere to, and no means to get anything. What are you going to do, boys? Jesus engages the need, verses 14b to 16. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each. He kind of gives them some tasks to do, and they split people down into these small groups of 50 to sit down to eat. I wonder if they told them they were going to eat or whether they were just like, we're just going to keep this in our back pocket. What if God doesn't come through? Let's just ask them to sit down. I don't know. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking to heaven, actually better translated into the heavens, he blessed. To bless means to consecrate a thing. My grandmother had this pump outside of her house. And so there's the house, the kitchen and the door and a big old veranda. And you'd walk out maybe from here to those doors back there. And there's a well. And on that well, as you can remember, just picture a well pump. There was a little wire hook, and on it was a cup. And it was given for the use of anyone needing a drink of water coming and pumping the water up from the well. It was one of those big old uh, like granite-covered tin cup things that didn't rust and, and had a big handle in it. You could get all your fingers through. And, and it hung, and it was consecrated for the use of drinking cold water from the pump for anyone who happened along. And that's that idea of consecration, given for the use of, for the purpose of. And so Jesus blessed it. That means he consecrated what was going to happen, this bread and these fish, to the purpose of God, that God would work his purpose and his plan and do something. Consecrated. And he broke them and he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. It means to place food in front. It's not like... like Imagine taking it and you're like, when I'm going to run out, the person I run out, they're going to be really ticked. And there's going to be like 200 more people behind them. They're going to be really ticked that these guys got the food. And, and, and I, I mean, I'm going, to get, I'm going to get a knuckle sandwich. And, and imagine what these guys are going through. Some thoughts here. Jesus focuses them back to the source of the answer of the problem. Why is that such a hard concept to get as we walk through life as followers of Jesus? Secondly, Jesus involved the disciples in the miracle and they saw firsthand the power of God, even though they'd been seeing it day after day. He still needs to bring it in front of their eyes. And I don't feel so dumb when I see that. I feel a lot better that it takes me a while to get some of the things that God is trying to do in my life. Well, drawing down on God 
To draw down on something means to bear down, to, to pull down, to... If I have some boards and I'm going to bring them together, I will use screws and, and pre-drill, and I'll draw it down. I'll bring the two things close together. I've got two boards. I'm going to make a beam. They need to be drawn down together. And so, talking about drawing down on God. Number one, stop reacting and take time to ask some big questions. You ever find that you're like that? You just kind of react? You're not really thinking, and it's like, this comes up. Oh, we need to do this. Oh, we need to do this. And, and oh, i got a problem, and, and, uh, and maybe I can try instead of stopping. Asking some questions. What are some questions I should ask? Well, number one, what's the real issue? Define it in a sentence. What's the real issue going on? Is this a money issue? Is this a spending issue? Is this a faith issue? Is this an obedience issue? What's the real thing? I, I, I write it down in a sentence. I get it down into a short little old sentence that I can, I can get my head around and I can put it up on the fridge or I can put it in the dash on my truck and, I'm, and so that as I begin to think about this, I can look and I can understand what the issue is. Number two, what are the spiritual realities going on? What's God trying to do in this? Is God trying to build my faith? Is God trying to help me see that he's in control? Is God opening my eyes to the needs of others? I ask that question, like, what's God doing here? I ask the opposite question. What was the evil one like to accomplish in this moment, in this time? Does he want to tear down my faith? Does he want me to question God's word? Does he want me to, to sell out and be so disappointed and so ashamed that I won't even lift my head again. What are his plans and purposes? Number three, this is the important one. What does the scripture say about the situation? That's the application piece. Who has gone through this kind of thing in scripture before? Who, what was their response? What worked? What didn't work? Because sometimes scripture gives us bad the person who chooses the wrong path. Sometimes scripture gives us the example of what to do. David's example, killing Bathsheba's husband, probably not a good deal. Okay, let's don't go down there. Trusting God, gathering the five small stones, taking on the giants, good example, follow. But you got to know God's word. You have to understand God's word. You have to make God's word a priority in your life. Like so many of us who, who are just putting a, a new fireplace in and, and doing some, some construction, it's like reading the instructions after it's built and it's not working right. <laughs> oh, stink, I was supposed to do that. Know God's word to be able to apply it. Some other things, take time to organize yourself and those around you to seek out God. Take the time to bring people into it, godly men and women who can be join your team, who can join in prayer, who can bring counsel into your life. Number three, set time aside not based upon convenience, but upon spiritual urgency. Don't look for the convenient. Don't look for the easy way out. Don't look for what fits my schedule. If you want to draw down on God, then you look at the spiritual urgency. You draw people around you and you put the time aside, whether it's for fasting, for praying, for coming together and seeking out the word together. But let the spiritual urgency drive you, not your schedule. I have friends who are pastors who say, I just can't take a day out to pray about this. I haven't got the time. Then you're messed up. 
you're messed up in your thinking, you're messed up in your priorities, and you're messed up thinking that you can think your way out of this thing. Finally, consecrate. Consecrate this thing in prayer. Not asking for God to do what you want, but for God to reveal His direction and will in the broader circle of people. That is saying, take this thing, Father, and what, however you want to use it, I want your best to come from it. If this sickness is from you in your hand for your glory, allowed by you, that people would see you glorified, then I want you to accomplish all that you can through it. If losing my job is a point of reference for people to say, here's how one who trusts in God deals when their source of income goes, whatever it is, consecrate it. Set it aside. Set it before and say, God, take this trial, take this thing in my life, and use it to bring glory to you. Hey, Marco, what, what happens to our wives every Wednesday night? Uh, they go away and they, they hang out with other wives and other ladies. Where do they do that? They, they do that at, at Evangel. We have a basement, which is really nice. It's, it's furnished and we call it the Fellowship Hall and they meet there. So that's all the noise down there at 630? Hooping and hollering and, it's, and, and it's praying. It's a group of women? Lots of girls. Praying? I, I, I stay I've never away seen from a man there. anywhere near it. No, no, I don't go. It's just got a high estrogen level then. Too much for me. Okay, then we're not going. But if you're a woman and you've got nothing going on on Wednesday evenings at 6.30, come to Evangel Community Church, 112 Spadina Road West, and you will have an amazing time. Hey, Marco, like, did you read the bulletin last weekend? Uh, yes, I did. And, and like, did you see like like the the what what I'm supposed to be talking about? And and like the, like, what am I going to do? It's like this is I'm supposed to be talking about love, sex. What and, sex? My goodness, love, sex, and romance. And and it's like the uh, Song of Solomon. Like, what idiot came up with that idea? In a church? In a church? Song of Solomon, Sunday morning. I, I don't know what to say, but uh, I'm definitely interested. Well, I want to go and hear what I've got to say because I haven't got a clue. Why don't you come on out then on Sundays? We start at 10.30, and uh, we, we begin the day by worshiping. So um, tell your friends, and we'll see you there. The end of a weary day, verse 17. And they all ate. It means each and every one. There was, there was no one that got missed, and they were satisfied. It means filled up to the point of being fat. And they were all satisfied. Filled. And the broken pieces which they had left over. Somebody asked last night in one of their questions, like, why was there 12 baskets left over? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know whether it's like representative of the you know, some say, oh, that's the 12 tribes of Israel, everybody in the whole nation that would be sufficient. Jesus could look after Others would say that it's the 12 disciples. It's to prove to them that, that God was sufficient in their lives. And I, I don't know for sure. God seems to use this 12 thing a lot. Well, they picked up 12 baskets full. And these baskets were huge. Like, they're, like they were, uh, you know, that probably would be like 30 inches, 32 inches across. 
It's just not, it's not like one of those little things that your wife puts potpourri in. I don't understand that anyway. But not a little, I mean, they didn't go around and just like there's some crumbs. Let's pick up the crumbs. There's like lots of food left over. My thought here is that when God answers, it is enough. Have you found that? Is your experience becoming that when God answers, it is enough? In fact, God has promised that his provision will be more than enough. It'll bring satisfaction. Well, learning to be satisfied, that's hard. We live in a culture and an age that is not satisfied. We are taught not to be satisfied. We are taught to consume. We are taught that we need more stuff. And we come to the point where we get so much stuff that we have yard sales to get rid of the stuff. Psalm 23 really talks about being satisfied. It's from the viewpoint of a sheep being satisfied with the shepherd. But there's some really cool things in there. Read through that this afternoon. Learning to be satisfied. Don't look at what others have. Don't go comparing. Man, this ministry has this, and we only have this, and this, this household has this, and I mean, and, and, and I drive this, and they drive. Don't compare. Serve a constituency of one. That's God. You begin serving people, you begin serving things, you begin serving organizations, you begin serving something other than God, and you will not be satisfied. Number three, learn to live without the praise or the notice of others. Man, there's not a lot of people out there that that will, will give you praise or notice for what you do. You notice that? You sweep the floor at work, nobody says nothing. You do all the extras, you go above and beyond, and you... And, you know, you buy the, the good cream instead of the cheap cream. Nobody, nobody, nobody will say, man, you're doing a great job. If you live for the praise of others, you will be sorely disappointed. There's only one well-done, good, and faithful servant. If you live for that, for the constituency of one, then you will be satisfied. Put down here, serve the kingdom, not your ministry or your ego. Some churches, as things happen, like different ministries have like, like, you know, this ministry is more important than that ministry. And if, when we invest ourselves, let's be honest here, let's take this aside for a second. When you put time and energy in, your, in a ministry, you begin to feel like you own the ministry, like it's part of you, and like it's more important than anything else that's going on. And the deal is, is it's not. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that, that we all are in this together and all the gifts serving together. It's what God is doing. That's what is important. Finally, serve the kingdom and not others' expectations. What happens when you start serving another person's expectations? They keep moving the expectations. Different, bigger, more. Well, you did this, but can you do that? Stop serving other people's expectations. Learning to be satisfied. Well, prayer... For God's hand and provision is a huge thing. And um, whether it's in our personal lives, whether it's in our families, and even to the greater context, our church family, prayer is something we don't draw down on near enough. Stan, you're referring to drawing down on God, and, and you mentioned that we need not pray asking for what we want, but rather for God's best to come out from it, that he may be glorified. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I usually take a different approach, and, and so I'm seeking your wise counsel. When I'm experiencing trials, 
rather than asking for God to be glorified, I usually find myself asking God to draw me near to Him during those difficult times. Is is this kind of similar, or is that okay? Help me out here. Yeah, that, that's on the path. I mean, I think that's that's a part of the journey, is asking uh, God to be near. But the, the end game is that God be glorified. It's like kindergarten prayer is, um, God, get me out of this. God, stop this thing happening to me. I mean, as humans, that's where we are. We just like, I don't like the pain. I don't like what's going on. So, uh, you know, God, get me out of here quick. You know, kind of a come to Jesus thing. Get me out of here. The next step is is going. Okay, what what has got what has God got going on in the middle of this? So I'm going through the trial, and I'm and I'm seeing. You know, I've, I've caught my breath, and I'm going. Okay, there's more going on here than just pain and and getting away from the pain. There's there could be something God's doing in the middle of this whole thing, and then like so, I you know take that to like primary prayer, kind of junior high prayer is. Okay, God, what's God doing in the middle of this? How can I cooperate with God? What needs to happen in my life to cooperate? And then, and then kind of high school prayer uh, is, um, is um, not only do I want to cooperate, but, but I'm going to start doing some digging and, and uh, going even further than that. And, and then like university prayer is uh, God, get my attention here. Uh, take me across the finish line. I want to finish well for you. And and then like post, postgraduate prayer is God bring glory to your name through this whole thing. Hmm. You got that up on a plaque, maybe in a frame on your office here? No, no, not yet. But it's a good idea. <laughs> Sounds good. And you know what I, I was saying? I, I, I pray for God to, to draw me near. Now I know he's as near to me as he can be. I guess it's it's his presence. You know, I, I, I didn't grow up with a father, but I can imagine... Little kid falls, scrapes his knee. Uh, he's looking around. Where, where's my dad? Where's my daddy? And, and so, you know, I guess we could take great comfort knowing that he's always around. Yes. Stand in the message. You, you, you talked about serving the kingdom, not the expectations of others. Now I'm wondering, does this mean that sometimes you need to go against the grain? And even against perhaps what you think church leadership is, is doing if... Uh, if, if, you know, perhaps you're trying to serve the kingdom and not, you know, you know it's kind of it's kind of difficult. You try to make the people at church happy and the leadership, you, you, you know, you want things to go well, but sometimes the heart says that the Lord has other plans. That's a, it's a very interesting question, and you've got a, a couple of things that run into each other there. Uh, let's deal with the first half, which is pleasing people versus God, and, and, and always hands down, uh, you are going to feel the pressure of people around you to cave in. You're going to feel the pressure of people around you to give less than everything to God because it makes people feel uncomfortable. If you give less and, or sorry, if you give more than what they're giving, there's this this little bit of pressure or, or pushback in their life saying, well, maybe God wants more from me. And, and so you will always have people around you telling to ratchet it down, trying telling you to pull back the fire, to not be so radical, you know, you know, bring this religion thing, bring this Jesus thing under control, and don't let it kind of like take over your life. You're becoming a fanatic. I don't know if you've anybody's ever told you that you were a fanatic or when not. When I was younger. Well, that's this whole thing that where Jesus wants everything and every part of you. So yeah, you have to push back against that. 
you you listen i think you need to be polite and and i think then you explain why you're doing what you're doing and that you're following what god's commanded you to where he's leading you and then you have to you have to let people stay in the dust it's kind of like being on a gravel road you hit the accelerator you move ahead you look back there's a cloud of dust and and there's the people at the at the starting line well, in the Christian life, that, that will happen. People will stay back at the starting line, and they'll wonder why you're doing what you're doing. The second part that deals with church leadership then comes to this, how does God lead his church? That comes down to eldership. And in supporting eldership, there's some criteria there, that if elders are asking you to do something wrong, then with witnesses, you come to them, and you bring Scripture, and you bring it before your elders, and then you allow God to deal with it always with a witness, always with humbleness. Titus says like you're coming to a father, uh, like you're speaking to an elderly father, an elderly, whether it's a grandfather, but there's this reverence and, and coming to them. But the bottom line is, is that God gives elders to lead churches. God gives elders to protect churches. And in where we at all possible, where we can, where it's at all possible, we submit to the leadership that God has put before us and when we disagree and it comes to a point where we feel we have to draw away and and remove ourselves from under the leadership of those elders then we do it respectfully quietly gently with open hearts and not with uh, anger not with discontent not putting down the work of god but um, being very cautious and very respectful now the witness then why is it important that we have one of those well peter commands it and in, in the approach that peter gives us is you have to have two witnesses um so that the person bringing the charge or bringing the uh, accusation and another witness who has heard it who has seen it who has uh, been privy to what's been going on so if it's an individual elder, that needs to take place. If it's a group of elders, that needs to take place. That's to establish the words, to establish the uh, what's been seen, so you're not going in just one person. Uh, they want to. It's a serious business, and they want to make sure that it's approached seriously. Yeah, you know that that does sound serious. And I, I wasn't talking about like if an elder does something wrong. I'm thinking like perhaps you and the boys all of a sudden think that we should worship standing on our heads. And I'm going, you know, I don't think that's what God wants. So it's not like... Well, doing- then you got a group of elders really leading people down a, a different path than what the Bible's saying. So, I mean, it is wrong. I mean, it is that, that is a tough position to be in. And, and you're accountable because they're there to lead and protect the church. And if they're not leading and protecting the church, then there's a difference that you have to make between preferences sure. and biblical mandate. Okay. Now, I just want to finish up with uh, one last question. You, you said that, well, you talked about revival. Yeah, and I, I'm a teacher, and I'm talking to my kids about a concept or how, how things you know operate in class. I, I, I say it, it looks like this, and it sounds like this. So what does revival look like and sound like, Stan? I think when you come into contact with genuine revival, if you read through history and if you look at Scripture— People are laying down flat before God. There is the sound of weeping. There's the sound of moaning. There is repentance. 
there is confession, and there is a great sadness. And then that breaks into joy of the greatness of God and the depths of forgiveness that are available to us when we come in repentance to him. Scripture says that godly sorrow uh, produces repentance, which leads to salvation. That's the end goal, Marco. Thanks very much, Stan. It's always, it's always good hanging out with you. And, and thank you for choosing to share some time with us this evening. If you'd like to see what we're like live, you're always welcome to join us. Our worship service begins at 10.30. And uh, you're the first person up. Yes, there's a countdown timer and everything for me. A lot of fun. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's 112 Spadina Road. That's our address, and you're always welcome. This week, I'd like to encourage you to give up your problems and expect that no matter what they are, God's answer will always be enough. And remember, don't end your day without a word with God. Here it comes, a brand new day, but I don't know what will come my way. Rise or fall, your love will